Hey, it's Anita, and this is Bitcoin and Co. Hello, dear listeners. Today's episode is the start of a new series about Bitcoin in Africa. As you might know, I've been traveling to Zimbabwe and Botswana in February this year to find out if and how Bitcoin is known and used there. You can find the episodes I made there on my website at bitcoinandco.com. That's bitcoinandco.com. And then you're looking for specials and there you can find the category Bitcoin in Africa and Bitcoin in Zimbabwe. When I left the African continent at the beginning of March, it was unclear how the pandemic is going to change the economical situation of these countries that were already in a deep crisis like Zimbabwe or Nigeria and how this would affect the adoption of Bitcoin in sub-Saharan countries. With the upcoming episodes, I want to give you new insights into other African nations, such as Senegal, Kenya, Ghana and South Africa. This episode's topic is Zimbabwe. My guest is Miss Aura. She's a digipreneur and the principal of St. Anne's School in the country's capital, Harare. If you have a question or want to send me some feedback, please email me to hello at anitaposch.com or visit anita.link forward slash 83, that's 83 for the episode number, and send me a voice message. I'm always happy to hear from you. You will also find the show notes for this conversation on the page. As you know, my goal is to educate as many people as possible about Bitcoin. So if you like my content, please share it on social media, tell your friends and family about it, and maybe even write a recommendation on Apple Podcasts for me. Thank you. And before we start, a short word from my sponsors. Shift Crypto and the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. I did an interview with the inventor of the Bitbox and co-founder of Shift Crypto, Douglas Bakum, recently. It's episode number 77. You can find it at anita.link forward slash 77. Tune in to hear his intentions and the core values behind the production of their hardware wallet. To be financially independent, it's important to hold your own keys. Shift cares about making it easy for you to keep your Bitcoin safe. The Bitbox O2 is Swiss-made and makes it simple to store and use your coins. I especially like that they have a Bitcoin-only edition too, and I can use the hardware wallet with my phone. Check out the Bitbox O2 at anita.link forward slash Bitbox O2. That's Bitbox02. You will get a 10% discount in the checkout with the code ANITA. Local Bitcoins is one of the most trusted and the largest peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin trading platforms in the world. To learn more about local Bitcoins and their people, listen to my interview with Elena Tonoyan, the company's chief of operations at anita.link forward slash 68. On local Bitcoins, you can buy and sell your Bitcoin in an easy, fast and secure way, always protected by escrow. Local Bitcoins allows you to trade directly with people like you and you can choose any currency you prefer and find a safe payment method to complete your trade. 
Local Bitcoins also offers a web wallet, so you can trade and deposit and send out your Bitcoin all in one account. Go to www.localbitcoins.com to buy and sell Bitcoin. And last but not least, I definitely recommend using a hardware wallet to store your Bitcoin. But if you have difficulties with the technical requirements and maintenance of hardware wallets, you can use the card wallet. The card wallet is a very simple and secure solution for long-term storage of Bitcoin and Ethereum. No software updates needed and it leaves no traces on the blockchain, which is good for your privacy. You can give it away as a gift or inheritance. You can send Bitcoin to it and all you have to do is to store it in a safe place. The manufacturers are the Austrian State Printing House and Coinfinity, Austria's first Bitcoin broker founded in 2014. Listen to my interview with Kai Kremser. He is Card Wallet's product manager at anita.link forward slash 72. If you order your card wallet at cardwallet.com forward slash Anita, you will get 20% off. And as always, thanks to the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network, where you can not only find the Bitcoin and Co. podcast, but other relevant Bitcoin-related shows too. Hello, Miss Aura. Thanks for taking the time to do this interview with me today. Thank you so much for having me, Anita. I'm excited to be talking to you again. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Please, before we start, please introduce yourself to our listeners. What are you doing? Where are you living? And why are we talking with each other today? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So my name is Aura, Aura Kawanzarua, but all my friends just call me Miss Aura. I live in Harare in Zimbabwe, which is a beautiful country in Southern Africa, and I work in the digital space. I work for a company called Africa is Digital, and I'm also a school principal, so I work in education. And I think the reason why we're having this conversation today is because I started using, you introduced me to Bitcoin actually earlier in the year, pre-COVID, when we used to walk around with no masks. And... It's been very, very strange <laughs> and interesting, weird. It's been such, a, such an enlightening experience. And I'm really excited to have a conversation about what it's been like in this period. Obviously, I've gotten to use it a bit more and to understand it a bit more. And yeah, to just, just explore that a little bit more. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because I'm also very curious what you have learned or experienced in the meantime but before we get into this topic of Bitcoin more in detail, mm -hmm. let's talk about the situation in Zimbabwe. I have been there, we met nine months ago in February 2020. And I mean, the economical and political situation in Zimbabwe has been tense and very hard and depressing for many years now. What mm -hmm. and how has there been a change since the pandemic? Ooh. That's a very loaded question. That's a question. big, a big um, question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big one, but I think it's an important one. You know, it's been difficult. Zimbabwe has, I'm sure as the media has seen, has gone through a lot since, you know, I'll say since the beginning of when we declared it a, a state of emergency, COVID-19. And that was, I think, in March, uh, 27th of March, if I'm not mistaken. And I mean, 
COVID hit us hard. I know it hit the world hard, but we were already really like struggling. We're at the bottom already of the barrel. And then when COVID hit, it was really like, you know, when when the economy came to a screeching halt. In terms of education, I mean, we had so many plans as St. Anne's and we had so much going on. So many schools had so much going on. And then just the threat of, you know, this pandemic just plunged everyone right down into the ground. And Zimbabwe has been really tense since then. A lot of it, I feel like, I feel like the lockdown really didn't do any favors in terms of exposing, you know, the really core issues, our healthcare system, which became non-existent, you know, our, our, our money, our currency issues became just really just such a joke at some point. And it's been very difficult in Zimbabwe. Hunger, you know, the, there's a joke. It's not really, it's not funny, but I mean, Zimbabweans, we laugh at things that aren't funny because it's the only way to survive. But there's a joke that says, hunger will kill me first before COVID does. Mm. Um, because of just the way things are, everything is really difficult. There's no work companies were not ready for remote working the cost of data just kept doubling at some point it's some point it went up twice in one month but every month it would double we knew we would get that sms notice that says tariffs are going up end of this month and it would be literally double 100 percent almost every time so as things started to get worse everything started to get more expensive then there was a really huge issue in terms of the black market and the exchange rate. So, you know, the black market was basically running the economy. So the parallel exchange rate, where at some point it was a hundred, it got as high as a hundred and I think about 115, 120 for you, 120 bond to one US dollar. Mm-hmm. which is like a lot of money. Yeah, and when, yes. when I remember, right, uh, when I was there in February, it was one US dollar was 25 bond, so 25 RTGs. Yeah. 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 And, and it I mean, shot right up to 100. Yeah, and I think we ha- maybe have to tell our listeners that the situation in Zimbabwe is tense anyway. So yes. even pre-COVID, it was very, yes. very hard with all the, the, the petrol, the queuing for petrol, the money exactly. situation, the prices for, exactly. for internet and, and for food. And people live from hand to mouth in your country. They, there are no mm-hmm. jobs in that way. What, what we think of, you lose your job or you have to work from home. I mean, how, <laughs> how, should, how should the people there work from home? I mean, they are trading and they are doing stuff on the streets <laughs> and, pretty much yeah so okay so i guess i mean i i also heard that the monetary system the government changed things so like for instance most people use mobile money there in in your country yes. mm, they re- yes. i think they they rely on it yeah they rely mm. on it and i've heard in august or something like that that the government banned eco cash cash outs for traders no for sellers for for businesses, so they couldn't pay out their eco cash anymore. Is this right? Or what? Yes. Yeah. So it was banned, and it was yeah. You couldn't cash out as an ordinary person. You couldn't get your money out anymore as cash. It, what they did is they closed down all the agent lines because um, the theory was that 
it was mobile money that was actually driving the black market. Because a lot of the people, you know, we call them money changers. A lot of the money changers, you know, work used that platform to change money. So there were high volumes, you know, and you could get, as long as you had enough in your mobile wallet, you could get whatever it is you needed, whether it was US dollars or Zim dollars, you know, they basically ran it. So when they did that, it crippled a lot of people, it crippled a lot of businesses. Some people lost hundreds and thousands, if not millions of dollars through that whole scheme. And eventually, you know, the government put some very, very strict measures in place in order for EcoCash to operate. And yeah, it, it made things very difficult for a long period of time. And yeah, I guess being Zimbabweans, we just learned how to adjust, but it made it very difficult. It just made everything that much harder. As much as they were trying to address a bigger problem, you know, which is the parallel market, it did hit the smaller guy on the street a lot harder. And there was a period where EcoCash itself just stopped working. Um, oh, wow. It just wasn't working because they just... I don't know what was happening. There was a period where it just wasn't working properly. Like you try and send money, your money doesn't go, it gets stuck. It, it was terrible. It was such a... <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> terrible because everybody's relying on it because um, just, yes. I mean, people there, they don't have paper money. It's not around. And, and most people yeah. can't afford or don't have US dollars. Or Yeah, so you use mobile money and no one banks really. So mm -hmm. it was like a force to try and force everyone back to the bank. And yeah, I think they did, they did hit, they did hit that company quite a big blow, you know, that you can tell, you can tell they're trying to recover it. I'm not sure how I feel about it. I mean, I'm not an economist, but you know, from, from what I gather only now, like the measures that they took, you know, the exchange rate, I won't lie, is kind of trying to balance now. It's still incredibly high. It's a uh, one US dollar will give you At the bank rate, it will give you, I think it's 83 RTGS. And then I think at the parallel market, it's about 90 to 100 RTGS will give you one US dollar. So it's kind of balanced now a little bit, but I mean, it didn't make anything easier. People lost so much, their livelihoods, not to mention the people, the agents, the ones whose lines were shut down because mm -hmm. they're specific lines. So it's based on mobile SIM cards. So we call them lines here. So the line for the agent, the person who sort of facilitated transactions, all agent lines were closed. And some of them never even got their money. Like it was just like, that was it. It was closed. And if that was, so for a lot of people, that was their livelihood and they just lost, that's it. They just lost it. They lost, it's like losing your bank account. And where did this go? I mean, where did the money go? I'm not sure. From what I understand, some of it was transferred into people's bank accounts. Those who were listed as like money changers, like who had been red flagged for like high volumes, I think some of them even lost their money altogether. I know there's fights to date that are still happening where some people are still trying to get their money from Econet, from their lines that were closed down. So it obviously has had some really negative repercussions. And do you think that the government also wanted to like really hit on EcoCash, Econet, the company, because yeah. they are so big? Yeah. You know, I think so. Again, I mean, I, I, I'm not much of a politician or an economist, but as someone who lives in this country and who sees what happens every day, I think, I think there's always been a sort of 
a level of discomfort. I feel like maybe the government perceived Econet as an organization that was just really hard to control and to, you know, they sort of just did things, you know, their own way. And, and because they have the numbers, I mean, they have the masses, like, I don't, I don't remember the exact statistic. I'll look for it, but I know like majority of Zimbabweans use Econet. Mm-hmm. And in terms of like, I think Econet held something like 92% of the country's banking. Yeah. That's like digital transactions. Yeah. For digital transactions. That's like, that's the whole, you own the country basically. So I think it was a power struggle to be quite honest. At the end of the day, if you really just boil down, it was a power struggle. And in this case, to a certain degree, the government won. Mm-hmm. And again, on the, how is this called in English? The, 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 the small people were suffering, let's say it that way. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm. And how is it with the fuel queues? Is it the same as in February, March, or has it gotten worse? It's better. It's better, although it's seasonal. <laughs> There mm-hmm. are periods where, you know, suddenly fuel is just suddenly very difficult to find and there's queues. But it has seemed, it has seemed to, it's, it's not as bad as it was in February. Our biggest issue right now is actually water, water and electricity. Those two things are almost as scarce as fuel, water is that, especially. Is this because it's summer and there's no rain? Yeah, there's that. But I think also a lot of it, I would say, boils down to And I won't even put it down to just this government. I would say years, decades of, you know, mismanagement of resources. Corruption is huge. I would blame corruption for a lot of the things because I feel like Zimbabwe has a lot of resources. Like we shouldn't be in half of the problems that we have today. But I feel like over years, things are just mismanaged so poorly that now everything is sort of culminated now, you know, it's like a snowball effect where, you know, little by little, you know, someone steals money from their money that's supposed to be for chemicals, for water, money that's supposed to be for repairing the hydro stations or repairing the dams and money is just being stolen left, right and center. And then before you know it, everything has fallen apart and no one knows where the money went. Mm. So I feel like that to be very honest and frank, a huge, reason why we don't have some of the things we have, even sometimes fuel, I feel can really be pointed towards just corruption and mismanagement of funds, of public funds. Yeah, I think so too. And it's not sanctions, I guess. No, I feel like, you know, I mean, sanctions do have their role to play. As much as some will say it's targeted, I don't know much about the sanctions what's happening with sanctions at the moment. We're actually in exam season at the school. So I've been quite unplugged from the news, Mm. but from what I have sort of gathered, you know, sanctions do have their role. They have played a role in terms of just crippling and making it hard because even if you target it to specific sectors or specific groups of people, that still affects the smaller man because these are the people who can then effect change or do whatever it is they need to do for us to get out of the situation that we're in. So I feel like sanctions have their role to play, but it's not as huge. It's not as huge a role as, you know, people are making out to be. I feel like if we were to just fix corruption and mismanagement of the country, even with sanctions, I think we would be just fine. 
Yeah, I mean, just today, I think I saw on Twitter that the president of the Zimbabwean Miners Association or something like that, she smuggled gold outside the country and they found it in uh, her bags or something like that. Yeah, mm. also interesting to see. Yeah, very fascinating. Zimbabwe is a fascinating place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... So, and then there was in summer when I remember this Zimbabwean Lives Matter movement, uh, there were mm -hmm. protests. And I think the reason for the start of these protests was that one of your prominent journalists has been arrested. Can you tell us a little bit about this movement and what happened and has it changed anything? I think it has changed a lot. So the Zimbabwean Lives Matter movement was obviously inspired, as the name suggests, by the Black Lives Matter movement. I think globally, the world over, people of African descent, people darker skin tones are sort of trying to find their voice and find justice in a very difficult world to live in. And in terms of Zimbabwean Lives Matter, it was sort of really... It, it sort of started just before, I think it was just before Hopewell was imprisoned. And it was just a bunch of young Zimbabweans who were just complaining a lot about what's happening. Like, can you not see what's happening in front of us? And it was actually really triggered by the healthcare system, by the fact that, you know, you'll have, you know, people would say things like, politicians will have money to buy everyone t-shirts and caps when they're campaigning, but they don't have money to buy just masks for everyone. You know what I mean? If you can give out free t-shirts, surely you can give out free masks and little things that sort of, you know, now culminating stories that come out, the nine babies, the nine stillbirths that happened at the hospital. So it, it sort of all came together and started being Zimbabwean Lives Matter. And then, the journalists started coming in and people started speaking out. That's we had people like Hope Paul and Jacob and they came out and they started sort of really adding fuel to fire around trying to expose corruption. And sort of that's when it, I guess, started to gain quite a bit of momentum because he also started using the hashtag. And then it just sort of began to snowball. And, and then next thing you know, people who use the hashtag were being arrested and then they were you know we were trying to uh, organize the protests and uh, you know the people who were trying to organize the protests were being arrested and being hunted and then you know people were being abducted now like in broad daylight basically and that you know added fuel to fire and then the Zimbabwean Lives Matter started to gain a really like a huge sort of what's the word I'm looking for I'll just use momentum for lack of a better word mm -hmm. and I think it had a huge impact in that Fair and fine. People will say maybe that it didn't really change anything, but I think it changed a lot. If anything, if anything, I think it's taught, and I'll put, I'll, I'll, I'll put this as the older generation because, you know, it's not just government that's the problem. I feel the, the power struggle in Zimbabwe is between the young and the old, right down to corporate, right down to the way people do business, right down to your landlords and your tenants. It's the older generation versus the younger generation. I feel like this is what it is in Africa and generally, in, in general, it's young versus old. And I feel like what the Zimbabweans Lives Matter movement did is it, one, showed that social media and the internet is 
a lot more powerful than they could have anticipated that it it's also gave people hope in that you can still have your voice heard even if we cannot walk into the streets you can still say something and there will be an echo chamber so it became like an echo chamber online and i think for lack for lack of a better phrase it left a lot of people shook i think it left the the government very shook i think it 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 was definitely revealing shocking it affected change in that you know a lot of the things that were highlighted as much as it won't be admitted but a lot of the things that were highlighted during the zimbabwean lives matter movement have since not necessarily been addressed but have been acknowledged and it raised a lot of awareness to issues that perhaps you know the people with influence weren't aware of i'll just give them the benefit of the doubt i'm not saying they didn't know but i'm just saying it it really brought important problems and issues to light and i feel like it i feel like it put a spotlight again on zimbabwe but this time in a positive light i feel like it showed that you know when we all come together for one purpose that you know there there is a sense of you know unity amongst zimbabweans there's a general misconception that zimbabweans you know are not unified and that zimbabweans don't love their country or that zimbabweans you know don't know how to stand together i think we do and i think the zimbabwean lives matter sh- uh, movement showed that but yeah it was a very interesting time and i'm i'm so happy to see that it hasn't actually died the hashtag still does appear on trending i think it's no longer like within the top 10 but it's somewhere within the top 20 which is good we keep the momentum going and i think it also inspired a lot of a lot of other people to start you know a lot of young people to take ownership of their countries and to you know to to speak up and to have a voice it gave people a voice whether it was you know negative or positive it gave people a voice which is the most important thing Mm. I saw it trending with other hashtags like the one from Nigeria and South. Mm, mm-hmm. I think I, I, as what I hear from you, I imagine that these are also very young people who have enough and want to change things in their country. Yeah. So yeah. maybe this is really one one group of young people in one African nation inspires the other one. Yes. Mm. Yes, very true. Yeah, so yeah, let's hope for a change. And how is the situation with the coronavirus at the moment in your country? Because one of my friends who's living in Zimbabwe told me in her area where she's living there are no more or not very much or not very many corona cases anymore. So mm-hmm. they it seems that they are basically free from it. I don't know right. what's your experience. I think, you know, the from the from the reports cases have gone down, although I have noticed a slight increase over the past two weeks. I think we've had like over a hundred about an average about a hundred cases a week, which is much better because we're we were having like a hundred and something, two hundred cases a day. I feel though that we are I don't want to be an angel of death <laughs> or a prophet of doom but I do feel like we we might be looking at a second wave in the near future simply because we've relaxed 
so many, you know, we've relaxed so many of our restrictions and regulations. But not only have we done that, but by relaxing that, people have also relaxed. So people don't really wear their masks. No one really wears masks anymore or wears them properly. We, we laughingly, we call them chin guards now. No one wears masks. They wear them on their chin. <laughs> it's like, why are you wearing it? It's just, it's become just like something to keep your chin warm. Yeah. I hate it. And it's, you know, it's, people are very relaxed. You can tell people are just really, really relaxed about Corona. There's a general, you'll hear it like generally on the ground. Oh, you know, the state will be like, ah, Corona ya pera. It's finished. You know, ah, it's finished now, you know. Mm-hmm. But just yesterday we had five deaths, mm. which is more than we've had in a very long time in one single day. So I feel like as much as it looks on the surface, like things are getting much better, I think by fully, because we've practically almost fully reopened the economy, I think we can look towards having some kind of a second wave if we are not careful. When I read government documents, when I read you know, when they send out their recommendations and restrictions for COVID for different sectors, you know, there's the undertone, the language in those documents also sort of shows that they know that this pandemic is not actually really over, you know, and that we're not really out of the clear because the language really, really stresses, really stresses on like taking caution and on being very careful and on how you can still catch it and that Mm. sort of thing. But I feel like the general, you know, the moment people said bars are open, you can start selling alcohol. Like the moment that happened, people are like, oh, so it's over. And you're just seeing parties everywhere and no one's wearing their masks. And it's like, oh no, we're going to die. But then again, I'm very (laughs) paranoid. (laughs) I feel like I am the most, I started my lockdown before the government announced a national lockdown. And I've been very, I am terrified of Corona, maybe because I'm asthmatic and I'm, I, mm. I just believe if I get it, when I get asthma attacks, I feel like I'm dying. So I feel like if I've got Corona, I will probably definitely die. So I'm very, very paranoid. I am I wish everyone could just wear masks for like the next year and also just so that it goes away. <laughs> the next 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> the next 10 years. Um, oh, homeschool no. forever. Go get a degree in teaching. <laughs> yeah, but I, I understand. I mean, I understand mm. you. It's the same here. I mean, people wear, uh, it's mandatory to wear a mask in the public transport, for instance. And you know, people love to wear the mask, but with their nose, outside and yes <laughs> i always think to myself if you don't want to wear it just forget it put it off yeah but this yeah. half thing half half i don't know what this is <laughs> it's very strange i don't know it's like it's a very i would love to i hope somebody decides to do like a research on that on why people wear their masks wrong yeah. like that would make for a very good thesis whoever's listening that would make for a great thesis <laughs> <laughs> Just correlate the number of people who wear their masks properly to the number of countries that have seemingly defeated coronavirus. Um, (laughs) But let me not be all doom. It is much better than it was beginning of the lockdown. But I am just a bit worried that we are becoming a bit too relaxed. 
Mm. So mm. let's get into the Bitcoin thing a bit, because it has to cool. do with the coronavirus in a way and with your job as the principal mm -hmm. of a school. Please tell yes. us a little bit about that. What was the situation? I think it was in May. And we started the fir first, let's say it now, a first ask for donations, call for donations. And yes. yeah, tell it in your yes, words. So, so COVID hurt us really hard after we had to close down schools. You know, the, our we, we couldn't quite find an agreement with our landlord and we just started getting accumulation of rent, but we had no students in schools. We had no one paying school fees. The government had also declared it illegal to claim school fees. And, you know, as a school, you know, it's a, it's a very old school. It's a very small school. And I'll put it this way. It's very sort of humble beginnings. It's a very humble school. We're not, we're not like a top, you know, private school with like millions. We are a private school, but we don't have like millions of dollars. And, you know, we our our community of students, it's, you know, sort of very middle class. You know, we we're very we're not fancy. So we didn't have computers, like we don't have today, we don't actually have a computer at the school. We have teachers who have personal computers, but the school itself didn't have like technology. It didn't have any infrastructure in place to do distance learning, for example. Because at that point, I think that's when Zoom quickly jumped on that boat and everyone was talking about Zoom and, you know, doing school online and video calling. My parents are kind of like, I don't know about that right now, especially with the cost of data. It just seemed so out of reach. And sort of with all these things hanging over us, it was, sorry, I get, I get quite sad <laughs> when mm -hmm. I think about it because it was a really difficult time. You know, we we realized uh, at some point that we couldn't afford to stay open. And initially, I don't even. I think when I when I got in touch with you, initially the thinking was like, look, if we can at least just raise money to, I don't know, pay salaries and find some way, maybe do like WhatsApp lessons, buy students WhatsApp data, you know, bundles, and we can try and do something on WhatsApp. And, you know, we just, you know, just wait until it's time for us to completely shut the school down and we all start doing something else, get into farming or something. And we, we made the tough decision of having to shut down our school premises, which has been our home for 72 years. In shutting down the school premises, we also had to let go of half of our staff in the beginning. Eventually, we had to let go of more. A lot of the parents, when we did offer, you know, talk about trying to offer distance learning, a lot of them dropped out altogether because a lot of parents lost their jobs. So they were like, we can't even afford to pay you anything. So my child's just not going to learn. And it was a very difficult time. And I remember reaching out to you and saying, you know, maybe we can raise our donations. And I know in my mind, we, we didn't really think we'd raise much. We just thought, oh, you know, a couple hundred, it'll go a long way to getting some data and trying to get things going. And to try and sort of keep afloat. And then, and then you talked about this Bitcoin thing. And, you're like, and I remember you told me to create a wallet in February. And I created that wallet. And I didn't do anything with it up until the point where we needed to fundraise for donations. 
And at the at that time, we didn't really have a grand plan. We just had a really basic, simple plan, just for WhatsApp, for data, just to get things going. And then the Bitcoin community shocked me to no end. I remember Laura, you know, my boss and my partner, who was, I think we're crying. Like every hour we'd look at the balance. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) And we cried so much and I was terrified. I was so terrified because I kept, I think I kept saying, Anita, but what is this? But whose money is this? Like who sent this? And I, I was actually scared of it. I think I even sent you a message saying, I'm very scared of this money. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I, I was unsure. I was like, is this, is this legal? Is this scam? Is this scamming? You know, is, is this money laundering? Like what's, <laughs> Where is it coming? It's, it's on my phone. And I remember, you know, now thinking, okay, great. We've raised this money. I can, I can see it in my wallet. I can see that it says, you know, we've got, you know, X amount of BTC. And at that time it was very like, what is this BTC? And it then equals X amount of US dollars. And then I remember I didn't sleep because I was worried that, so I've got this, Forgive me, but I was like, I've got this fake money in my phone. It <laughs> says I've got money, but I don't see it because in my country, we don't use Bitcoin. Bitcoin is like, crypto is not really embraced. I don't know who's listening. I don't think it's allowed at all, <laughs> but we needed the help and no one else was going to give us money because this is Zimbabwe and no one has money. And I spent the whole night trying to figure out how to get the money out. Because we use fiat currency. I know that word now. Did you hear me use that word, Anita? Yeah, I'm, I'm I feel just very like, proud wow. of myself. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I need fiat money, right? So, and I didn't sleep. I think I, I messaged you at a very ungodly hour, just trying to say, I don't know how I'm going to get, the, how am I going to use this money? You're saying people have, you're saying this is people's money, but I can't see their names. I'm just seeing numbers and letters has sent some more zeros and dots and like, like these weird figures I didn't understand. And I remember crying because I didn't know how to get the money out. (laughs) I was like, Oh no, we've got this monopoly money and we can't use it. Monopoly money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But but, but you asked me then, I mean, you, you just should have asked me earlier. I know. I just, you know, you know, when you, you're introduced to something new, mm. you don't want to seem too stupid. Like you don't want to seem like completely green. Like you want to seem like you've read up and you understand, but yeah. I really didn't understand what yeah, was but, happening. I just, mm-hmm. and it's difficult to understand Bitcoin. I'm honest about that. I mean, it took me also a long time to, to really get a grip, you know, about it and what it is and how it works. Yes. And, and if you are completely, completely, completely new to it and also are used to problems with money and currency like you are in your, in your country, which is exceptional. Yes. I mean, nowhere on earth, maybe in Venezuela, but I don't know where else the situation is so complicated with banks and money mm. and so many different currencies. And also it's just a digital virtual thing. But when I was in, in Zimbabwe, I mean, I got to know some people who use Bitcoin. Bitcoin and they are trading it in small um, groups on Facebook or on WhatsApp. It's basically really people to people. It's peer to peer trading. Mm. And but I understand that 
that you didn't know first who is it from <laughs> and second, yes. what am is it just fake like you say monopoly money or do i really get something so what happened then then you introduced me to someone here and i remember talking to him and it all happened so quickly and and they kept trying to you know compare it to eco cash so that i could understand mm -hmm. and i won't lie i kept feeling like i was in the middle of a drug deal like <laughs> i thought like i'm doing you know i think even when i went to this i was wearing a hoodie and a beanie i just didn't want anyone to see me like we're doing something <laughs> illegal here and i'm gonna this is terrible and what if he kidnaps me <laughs> i thought uh, you said this is my person i was like this is very strange mm. anyway we managed to raise way more than we anticipated you'll be surprised what even just a hundred dollars can do for people who really need it and so when i met with a trader i remember oh he used the qr code thing so again i mean i don't really use qr codes i mean i know qr codes i know how to use them but i've never really it was so confusing he just holds out his phone and goes okay i'll just open it and then i scanned it and then then it was like okay cool that's it here's your money and i was like what do you what do you mean like <laughs> and he was like yeah and i was like and then i remember looking at the money checking i was like is this this is real And I kept saying, do you know this is real money? And he says, yes, because Bitcoin is real money. I was like, how? Like, who, who owns Bitcoin? Like, where's the bank for Bitcoin? And even at the point where I finally got, I think it became real to me when I got the money in my hands. And suddenly, everything changed for me. I won't lie. In that moment, my life changed. My whole outlook on life and what was possible And the things that we could do if we were able to just use this properly, the amount of people we'd be able to help, you know, and understand that this was borderless. Like there was no, you know, waiting period. It was instant. Do you know what I mean? Like that was weird for me. Like this is, but it's been, it's coming from another country, from another time zone altogether. Mm. And when I held it as cash in my hands, I remember like bawling my eyes out. First I cried. First I was terrified. And I remember I, was, I sprinted back to my house like, oh, someone must have seen me. I'm going to get kidnapped by central intelligence. <laughs> But then I sat down and I looked at the money and I started crying. And I looked at the app and I was like, this is these weird numbers, these weird 0.000 something. This is actually money. There's actually value in this. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we, from that, we were literally able to save St. Anne's. We unfortunately still had to close down our school premises. It wasn't a lot. It wasn't enough to keep us paying rent every month. I mean, our rent was a thousand dollars a month, which is mm -hmm. a lot of money, but we managed to buy a printer, which we're still using to date. We bought a printer. We bought every child, even though not all our students continued with us, every single student we managed to get every student a mask and at that time masks were really expensive like they were like five us dollars which is like a lot here like for something that's supposed to be a necessity and if you have a family of four or five how are you going to buy a mask for everybody you know so we got all our students masks every child got a bottle of hand sanitizer we got crayon we got a full home A homeschool, basically a homeschool pack, because the thinking was 
if I can, it, the only way homeschooling is going to work is if the parents are equipped with what they need in order to carry on homeschool. So if I say today we're doing craft and we're going to cut out, cut out a piece of blue paper and you don't have a scissors, you don't have the glue, you don't have the blue paper, everything is closed and locked down. So where are you going to find it? There's no public transport. So the thinking was, let's equip every child. Let's put the school in every child's home, which is then what we did with the money that we raised. And right now we're writing our exams. And we have, since May, been running off, literally been running off the funds that were sent. <laughs> and we managed to at least also uh, like provide like a care pack for all of our staff so it was like an emergency, I don't even want to call it a salary because it wasn't even the cost of a salary, slightly, it was less, but it was enough to sort of like a stimulus package, <laughs> I guess what, that's what you could call it. Yeah. We managed to at least take care of our staff as well as the ones that we had to let go and mm-hmm. be able to take care of our students. And we managed to put Wi-Fi at the school. So that was really great so that even if the teachers needed to do WhatsApp lessons and video calling and stuff, they could just do it from the school because most of them live in the area. So it's just walking distance. So yeah, it's, it's been incredible. Like I have seen it. My students have felt it. Bitcoin affected in total 60 students, mm-hmm. although 98 of them were the ones initially who got like all the packs and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the ones that have continued with us, it's about 60. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it. I've seen Bitcoin work, <laughs> which is weird. And did you also tell your school, your students about uh, Bitcoin? Yes, I tried. Although, I mean, how old, our... please tell our listeners how old your pupils are. Oh, they're little. Yeah. Um, so we have from we have our preschool, which is from ages two to five. So they were affected. They were they benefited, and then we have our primary school, which is from the ages six to twelve. Mm. So our older kids, yeah, we tried, but a lot of our parents just didn't get it. I think also the fault was mine. Maybe I didn't know how to properly explain it mm. um but the people who did get most of that information were the staff actually yeah that's great i mean there's a children's book about bitcoin it's called bitcoin money maybe i can talk to the author maybe he can send you a ebook that would be a great thing i think because that's I think, amazing yeah it's it's it has a good explanation for children what bitcoin is oh, so maybe that would help I will, I will ask him. Yeah. You know what I feel would be more impactful as well is if we can find a way to trans that, translate that book into local languages. Wow. That would be cool. Because sometimes it's hard to explain. I think that's why I struggled because we have a lot of Shona speaking students. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to explain it in Shona. Like how mm-hmm. do I explain Bitcoin in a local language? If the concept Adding up if the concept is difficult to understand anyhow. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I mean, that, that. that's for me in my, in my German language. This was also complicated because the most, most information is in English. And I was much better, of course, and still am in German than in English. So that's a, a second uh, hurdle in a way. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, yeah, that would be great if we could do that. And what else? What What's the situation at the moment in the school? So right now we are in a very interesting catch-22. We have, our government has announced that schools are to reopen. Schools are supposed to be reopening on the 9th of November, but we don't have a school. We mm. are basically running We're running off phones and pieces of paper because we print out all our educational material for the students so that they don't have any extra stationary costs to worry about. But now we are, we found a new home, which is amazing. We have an incredible landlord who I didn't even think landlords like that exist anymore <laughs> in Zimbabwe, who was very understanding sort of of, um, where we were coming from and how, you know, we invo we didn't plan to leave our home. No one thought, I mean, we've been there for 72 years. No one thought we'd ever leave. So yeah, we're, we're now in a position where we're trying to find a new home. We don't have all our students. Not all of them were able to do distance learning. Even the school fees um, that we're charging, because we still had to charge fees so that we can at least pay our teachers their salaries. We're not charging full school fees. So at the moment, we have to find a new place to live um, and to work from, but we don't have enough students for it to actually, for us to actually raise the amount we need for the deposit. Now, our landlord has been super awesome because our rental is it's less than where we were, so it's at 800, but he's been really kind enough to reduce it down to six for a period of time up until the point where we recover and we're back on our feet. But then he, of course, needs his deposit in full, your security deposit. I don't know whether it works the same out there, but here you have to pay a security deposit first, which is the equivalent of a four months rent. Then you pay your monthly rent. Mm -hmm. And the idea is then when you move out, you then get your security deposit back if you haven't caused any damage or, or whatever on the property. Yeah, same here. So, yeah. So we're in this weird catch-22 where we have found a new place to go, but we don't have enough students and enough money to get there, even though most of our students have shown they want to come back, but they're only probably going to be able to pay at the end of the year when it's time to actually start school. So we're in a bad place. <laughs> we're in a good place, but it's a very tricky so, place that we're in. So you could pay the rent but you can't pay the, the, the upfront uh, payment. Yes, yes. So the upfront payment, which is a month's rent plus the deposit, plus the, they've, they're what they call the lease, like a lease fee, which is like, like 100, an extra 100 US dollars. So it brings us like well over 1,400. But we've slowly started paying towards it. Like today we managed to put down $200 towards that. So we're just slowly trying to raise that money as much as we can. But once we are in, we know we can pay our fees. But then also the challenging part is the amount of like the recommendations required in order to reopen. I want my children to be safe. My students, sorry, I call them my children. But yes, I want my students to be safe. We need to make sure that we have there's recommendations like there's supposed to be like a box of gloves in each class. We are supposed to set up a sick bay, which is probably going to be our biggest expense. So like it's what they're calling a holding bay where 
if someone exhibits any COVID symptoms or if anyone is not feeling well, it has to be separate from the classrooms and you have to create basically like a mini a clinic per se, but yeah, a, a room that's far away. So we've got that room on the premises, but it was used for like accommodation, but like it's what, it's what is called servants' quarters. I don't know if that rings a bell for anyone, but it's not like a proper room. It's just mm. very sort of makeshift. So we need to fix that and turn that into our sick bay. We didn't have that anyway, even at the school where we were. We we're going to have to create one, but now we have to. So it's a lot of the things associated with that. You know, even with social distancing, a lot of our desks were shared. So if we'd have like two students on a desk. And in the preschool, we had huge like square desks. We, we had four children on a desk. So now with social distancing, it's like, oh no, okay, so we're going to need more mm. desks. <laughs> we're going to mm-hmm. need more chairs. Like, so there's actually a lot that we need to do to prepare to get ready so that when we return to school, this new normal means that even the things we had before were insufficient now in order for us to keep our students safe. And so because of that, we've decided not to open with everyone else on the 9th but to push our opening to the first uh, to January when we start schools on the 4th of January so that we have enough time to be really ready. And we've also been training our students. So we're re-socializing all our students, how to eat, you know, when you're at school, how to greet without handshakes, just basic getting them used to being around each other, but in the context of the new normal. So mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done but it's this gray area, this little weird period where we just need something to jump, to get to that point where we are now, you know, we can, we can, we can breathe and okay, we've got students again and we can function, but it's such a difficult time. I don't know how other schools in other countries are doing it, but the idea of having a hundred children and trying to keep everyone safe Mm. is very frightening for me, as well as keeping all our staff safe. That's very, like, it's daunting. Just the sheer cost of, like, the face shields and the cost of masks to make sure my staff have enough. Most of them will wear their, like, scarves around their nose. That's not sufficient, you know. So it's very uh, frightening. So some of whatever we, you know, while we're trying to raise money towards that, it'll be towards like moving into this new place and reopening. Some of it will be towards getting, making sure we've got enough masks for our staff Mm. and stuff like that. Um, Or just getting the fabric ones that they can wash, you know, get those made. That's what we got for our students. So our students are okay for masks, but our staff isn't. So little things like that, that pop up. But yeah, if we can just at least, at the very, very least, just find the deposit. I can make a plan and find okay. everything out. So that would yeah. be the starting point. And that's basically yes. what we are calling now for donations again in Bitcoin for St. Anne's School in Harare. <laughs> and the story, the other story from the Bitcoin side to it is when you, when we made the first call for donations in May, you had your non-custodial wallet on your smartphone. And then mm-hmm. uh, Tim, Tim Akimbo contacted me. He's a Bitcoin core developer from Africa or from Nigeria, I think. And he offered to install a BTC Pay server for you, for the school. 
And that's yes. what, yeah, that's what he did. And now it's possible to send money over BTC Pay server directly into your wallet. And I guess you will then also again go to Bitcoiner and exchange the Bitcoin to US dollar because you just need US dollars to buy stuff or to put the deposit down in your country. It's not other yes. possible in another way. So for our listeners, The widget or the, the place where you can donate to St. Anne's School in Harare is on my website. In this case, it's at anita.link forward slash 83. And now please explain why it's not, it hasn't been possible to put this payment donation button on your website. <laughs> so we're scared. That's the truth. Like I mentioned, cryptocurrency in my country is not really embraced. Also right now with everything that has been happening in terms of, I think, like I mentioned earlier in this conversation that the internet, people are very aware now of the power of the internet. And let me rather say they are wary and don't really trust and are very trigger happy. And yeah, it's just the fear that someone will look at it and get us into really big trouble for doing that. And we'll probably try to insist that we use our system, our banking system. But our banking system, you don't get your money, you can't get cash out of the bank. You know, it comes then as RTGS at their bank rate. So if you send $100, for example, through our traditional banking system, I will get it in the end as... 80 RTGS. And then <laughs> wow. I can't buy it anywhere as US dollars. But 80? I get, no, I get it. Not 80, sorry. Yeah. I get it as 800. So wait, if 100, 100, 100, 100 US will give me 8,000 RTGS. Where if I then try to then maybe even through, you can't get cash also from a bureau de change. If I want to go to the Bureau de Change and take my RTGS to get US dollars, I won't get it. Basically, you can't get US dollars cash like from any legal sort of structure unless you're getting it as uh, a world remit, like a, a diaspora remittance. Then you can get it from that remittance as a US dollar. But if someone just wants to you know, send you cash through traditional banking systems, I won't get it as as the money, but my rent still needs to be paid in dollars. And that's the way, sadly, a lot of things work here. People still want their money in US dollars. People still want hard cash. But then to get that hard cash, you have to jump through so many hoops. So we didn't put it on our site because we just didn't want to get into trouble. Mm -hmm. I completely understand. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. just to recap, so if I would want to send you, like say, a hundred US dollars over the banking system, mm -hmm. you would not really be able to cash it out in US dollars. I mean, you, I think no, you, you, you would need to, you would need maybe to take the RTGS from your bank and put it into mm -hmm. EcoCash and then with EcoCash go to the black market to a trader and exchange it to US dollars. Would this be yes. a way? Yeah. But this would cost yes. you. I mean, how much would then, would you have in the end? The The fees, just the, just, I mean, even just the transaction fees, maybe I might get maybe as between 70 and 80 US once I finally am able to, if I am finally able to change it. 
maybe slightly less. Maybe slightly less, actually, because just the cost of transferring it from my bank account to my mobile wallet, it'll take like 6% of the total amount. So already by the time it's in my mobile wallet, it's less than 8,000. Then to transfer it, you can't transfer more than 5,000 Zim dollars a day to anyone. So I would have to get it in bits and pieces. So I'll get like 40 something today and then I have to transfer the other 2,000 and something left the next day and that will then come probably as 10 or whatever dollars. So yeah, we're looking about, by the time I get this cash, about 60 bucks. Yeah, and many hours of work. Yes, (laughs) a lot, (laughs) a lot. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. wow. So yeah, so to our listeners, please donate money, donate Bitcoin over the BTC Pay server on uh, my website because St. Anne's School's school is really scared and I understand that they are scared because as you heard before people have been abducted and uh, taken to prison just for saying lives matter on social media so Mm. yeah now frightening yeah yeah very frightening so let's come to an end I mean I think we have already almost an hour I I would have an interesting results from a survey from Zimbabwe, oh. for Zimbabwe that okay. I would like to discuss shortly with you or yeah mm-hmm. and it's from the bitcoin exchange local bitcoins i don't know if you know local bitcoins um yes yes, yes. i have yes. done my research now yes i'm ah, very proud okay. to say yes <laughs> <laughs> okay so it's a peer to peer platform where you can get bitcoin basically and mm-hmm. they made a survey and they were asking zimbabwean users about Bitcoin and their opinion on it and what their use cases are. And Mm -hmm. I think it's quite interesting. The first question was, what's the purpose for them? Why do they want to use Bitcoin? And Mm -hmm. a third of all participants said that they are buying and holding Bitcoin as an investment for long-term price increase. Yes. Yeah, 25% said they are trading, so they sell and buy Bitcoin to make profit. Mm-hmm. And 15% said that they purchased Bitcoin to learn and better understand what Bitcoin is. Mm-hmm. Have, you, have you encountered any other people in your surrounding who use Bitcoin or have talked about it? I have encountered only one other person, probably mostly also because of the lockdown. So I haven't really had a chance to communicate with a lot of people. Mm. Most of the people who I know, actually, I lie, there is a group. There's a group I was added to recently, but a lot of them do it to make money. Like that whole, they do a lot of mining. Mining? Um, Yes. Like, you know, there's a lot of these like mining groups. Um, You're sure? But Bitcoin mining? I, I, I... I would think it's maybe other cryptocurrencies. Well, it's mining, it's Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh-huh. Okay. Because so that's, I mean, this is what I was told in the group, you know, that, you know, yeah, but then the, you get bigger returns if you mine Ethereum. So a lot of people see Bitcoin as almost like a fast way to make money that, okay, just give me, just send the equivalent of $50 and within a week you'll have, a little bit more and then you send the money back and then we'll give you more. So there's a lot of groups actually like that. So mm-hmm. if you do mention Bitcoin to people, you'll be like, oh, how do I get involved? 
how do I get the money? Because I heard Bitcoin makes you money. Mm. You know, that if you invest in Bitcoin, you get Bitcoin back. So that's sort of been my exposure to the, the, the people that I have um, spoken to in Zim about Bitcoin. One or two of them have been doing it as like a store of value. Like to say, I would rather just buy Bitcoin and no matter what happens, I know it's there for a rainy day. Where if ever I'm stuck and you know, if I need to bail out or whatever, and if it, if it, you know, increases over time, then I can always cash it out at some point. Mm. And then there is a group um, of what I would call geeks who are into Bitcoin uh, in that, in strictly as I'm investing in this because one day it's going to cross 20,000 and I'm going to be rich. So I have, uh, I know a lot of people like that. I haven't unfortunately bumped into anyone who does, who who got into it just for learning and understanding, but I have tried within my own sort of circle to get people just to invest. I've also just sort of tried to help people to open up their wallet. I managed to get paid for a job in Bitcoin. (laughs) Really? Really? Yes. Wow. Congratulations. (laughs) And, and, And that person didn't know anything about Bitcoin. And she, she, cause it was in another country, she was in Ghana and she had to send a lump sum. And for a project that we'd been working on, we awarded a grant and she, and we had no way. She also couldn't send money out of her country without going through very long and tedious processes, needed approval from the treasury. And I said, Hey, there's this thing called Bitcoin. And she was like, what's Bitcoin? I was like, it's this thing. <laughs> and then. She then found out that her husband knew about Bitcoin, but he hadn't mentioned anything because he also hadn't seen it used practically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we then ended up, you know, being able to send money from Ghana to Zimbabwe and also vice versa. I was able to send money for some students in Ghana through Bitcoin. So a lot of it is through just kind of learning through each other. Like if you don't mention it to someone, you never know because everyone's kind of scared of it. You know, no one really talks about, hey, I use Bitcoin. Everyone just kind of keeps it to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have more conversations, you realize people know a lot more than they say. Yeah, great. And, and did you support the other women in installing her own wallet? Or how did yes. you? So she, she, mm-hmm, great. So is, she also has a wallet like you. Yes. Now she has a wallet. Basically just use the wallet that I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, and install this one because that's what I know. <laughs> that's perfect. And, and and you did tell her that she has to write down these 24 words and that they are very important. Yes. Yeah. Great. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, it's great. And I've, I've, I've sort of, I guess, in my own little way, I've tried to use it as a way of really with, with women more, you know, as a way of empowering women that there is this thing and, you know, there's also gigs you can do online and you can get paid and I can support you. And, you know, we can build, you know, trying to build something that can actually help women who are in a tight place, but then create a community, you know, where, whether it is like peer to peer, I guess it would be peer to peer trading. I don't know. Yeah, right that's words. fantastic. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure someone's listening right now that like, this girl knows nothing, but, <laughs> but I'm trying to learn. 
That's great. It's fantastic what you're doing there. I love to hear that really. I'm, I'm, I'm just like, wow. <laughs> it's, well, you should take credit. It's your fault. Had you not it's my fault. Bitcoin, it's your fault. Yeah. Had you not explained Bitcoin to me and forced me to open a wallet, then, you know, I, I wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Yeah, and so empowering great. people in other countries. Thank you. Thanks for that. That's yeah. so great. Yeah. So very, I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. Yeah. And is there anything else you didn't tell me up until now, like great things like that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if this will go into your podcast, but like, yeah, I, I also, because of COVID, you know, the, the possibilities of remote working also became, you know, more tangible and very real. And, you know, I managed to find through a project where we we're doing like remote internships and that sort of thing, I managed to find a very talented a young man who's just completed his studies in Ghana and I've actually employed him and mm -hmm. he gets his salary in Bitcoin. Wow. Well, <laughs> he will get his first salary in Bitcoin. <laughs> okay. But, but yes, yeah. that's, that's going to be our mode of, yeah, that's our mode. So I helped him. We set up the wallet so, and everything. I said, this is how you're going to get paid. Okay, and, and may I ask you, where do you get the Bitcoin from? So I'm still now using, I've been using a lot of it from the, the payment I got from that job in Ghana. So then ah. it's, so now because we started, I've started trying to do a lot more sort of development work. I don't know why, the country is just more receptive to some of the projects and ideas that we have. So a lot of the work, I just keep insisting like, no, there's this platform called Bitcoin, I'll get my money in full. And then I then, sometimes I will buy if I have a little extra. It's not always much, but I'll buy like 10 bucks here. Or if I get paid for a project here, like a voiceover or something, I'll buy some Bitcoin and then I'll just keep it in there. So yeah, even if I have money that I've made here, I then put it into the Bitcoin so that I can send it to him. Mm -hmm. And what they will like is that it goes straight into their mobile wallets because you can do that. The guys that Tim linked me to, you can send them Bitcoin and they can send it to them in whatever currency they want. Oh, super, super. Yeah. And what's the feeling when you look into your wallet and the amount of US dollar has risen without any, doing anything? I, you know, that's weird. That <laughs> happened to me once. And I remember it was actually, no, it was, I still had the, we still had a balance from the initial donation run. And then there was a time, it, it was just after the halving, I think, mm -hmm. or just before. I don't remember, it was just before, just after the halving that there was a little bit of a jump, you know, and then suddenly I was like, what happened? And I was looking at the, I thought, did someone send, did someone <laughs> send a donation? And then I remember calling uh, my contact. I was like, why is mine? Something happened. I don't know whether I've been hacked. I thought I'd been <laughs> hacked. <laughs> I said, there's more money in my wallet than there was before. And, uh, <laughs> and he then explained, no, the price of Bitcoin went up or something. I was like, oh, I see. But I thought I'd been hacked, to be really honest. <laughs> But that would, be, that would be a good hack. I mean, getting money and not losing it would be a good hack. <laughs> oh, I would be terrified. I was like, oh no. And then I wake up in the morning and it's all gone. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I'm yeah. part of a money laundering scheme. I knew this was fake money. <laughs> Funny. Yeah, yeah great. Yeah. yeah. So thank you very much for this interesting and great and uplifting conversation. 
have we le have we left anything out that you want to tell our listeners? I would like to tell listeners, please invest in Africa. Please, please invest in the young people. It doesn't necessarily have to be finance. It doesn't have to be financial investment. Just knowledge. Knowledge is power. You know, even do as many webinars and share as far as you can just to share that information. We need it. We need a lot of, of, of information. We need a lot of support. A lot of young people across every African continent needs the support, even just peer to peer. Even if you're listening and you're in Africa, we need to support each other. We really do. And we really need to invest in each other, not in a donor sense, but just so that we can get up on our feet. And it's, you know, we don't, we don't, you know, we don't go around, you know, riding lions and we'll not, you know, it's not all, you know, I feel like there's a really <laughs> incorrect perception sometimes of Africa that we're all walking around with no clothes and barefoot and, you know, <laughs> that's not what it's like here. You know, yes, we don't have a lot of the things that other countries have and you know we don't all have great clothes and great shoes i mean actually don't don't i think i own one pair of shoes that don't have a hole in them but like <laughs> like everyone has there's so much more to offer do you know what i mean than what you see online and don't let that deter you even the struggles like NSARS and Tanzanian Lives Matter, I know that's a big thing right now. And what's happening in the Congo and what's happening in Cameroon. Like those should not deter you and think, oh no, there's only problems in Africa. For, for every terrible thing happening in Africa, just know that there's at least an army of young people trying to fix it. We are not content with what's happening. We're trying to fix it. No one wants to go around holding a begging bowl mm. and looking for aid and looking for help. You know, we want to be able to help ourselves. We want to be able to stand on our own two feet and to also contribute to the global economy, you know, and for people to be like, oh, yeah, Zimbabwe, the next great best superpower. Why not? You know, what stops us from being that, you know, and teach the whole world about Ubuntu and Wunu and change capitalism and turn it into something better. So yeah, invest in Africa, please. Yeah. <laughs> yes, invest and connect and exchange information. And step one is yes. donate for uh, Aura's school, St. Anne's. It's at anita.link forward slash 83. That's the episode number, 83. And Aura, please tell us uh, where could, can or could our listeners reach you and contact you? Okay, it's time to shamelessly plug. I am going to plug St. Anne's School so hard because our school needs your support and your love. So please follow us on Twitter. It's and at Anne's School. So it's Anne's, A-N-N-E-S, and then School, S-C-H-O-O-L. And you'll also find us on Facebook as Anne's School. And our website, www.saint, so that's S-T and then a dash and ands, A-N-N-E-S dot C-O dot Z-W. And then if you're looking for me personally, you'll find me everywhere as Miss Aura and that's M-S underscore Aura, A-U-R-R-A. 
So that's where you can find me everywhere. But follow St. Anne's first. We follow back. <laughs> Great. I will put all of these links in the show notes. And yeah, thanks for that. You're amazing, Anita. You are so amazing. The yeah, work you, you do is so important. You are more amazing than I am. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm thank happy. You so I'm, I'm really happy that I could support you. And this is not going to stop. We are working together in the next time and in the future as well. I hope. Yes, we have to. Yes. <laughs> unless, unless COVID takes me first or hunger. But yes. No, <laughs> no, no, please. <laughs> okay, Aura. Thank you very much and have a nice evening. Thank you, you too. And thank you so much for listening to all the listeners. That's it for today. If you like my show, please share it with your friends and hit the subscribe button in your podcast player now. Thanks to my sponsors who make it possible that I can produce the show. Localbitcoins.com, Shift Crypto with the Bitbox O2 and Coinfinity with their card wallet. Music. Start with yes, delicate beats. Idea, content and production. Yours truly, Anita Posch. 